Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Amen. Hey, we're in the uh, series called Extravagant Grace, Overwhelming Favour. This is actually going to be the last in this series for now. We will come back to it later on in the year. But I want to speak to you today on Favour Has a Time. We spoke last Sunday on rivers of grace and the importance of the fact that those of us that want to receive grace, and who doesn't want that? We want God to be merciful to us. We want Him to be kind to us. We want to get more than we deserve. We want Him to open doors that we never produced. We want God to be involved with our life in a spectacular way. And so we spoke last week about the fact that if you want to be a recipient of grace, you've got to be a carrier of grace to others. Now that's the how. Today I want to speak to you about the when of God's divine favour in our life. So let's go back to the story that's been a part of this series all the way along. It's the start of Joseph. Genesis 37 verse 5 says this, Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they never congratulated him. They hated him even more. Don't be surprised if your vision isn't a challenge to the lives of those that want to simply live a mediocre existence. Don't be surprised if you stepping up to the plate for some significant or great purpose in your life does not attract the applause of others. Sometimes people are going to say, why do you go to that church anyway? Why do you give away your money like that? You're crazy. Why? Because their life is about something far smaller and you're living for something far bigger. They hated him even more. Verse 6, so he said to them, because he's a stubborn Aussie, he said to them, please hear the dream which I've dreamed. He thinks if he explains it in more detail, they're going to like it more. And so he says to them this, There we were binding sheaves in the field. My sheaf arose and it stood upright and all of your sheaves stood around and bowed down to mine. And the brothers went, Woohoo! That's so exciting. We can hardly wait for you to lead us and be the boss. No, it says that his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Well, then he dreamed still another dream. This guy, you've got to give him 11 out of 10, haven't you, for chutzpah. He dreamed still another dream. He told his brothers and he said to them, look, I've dreamed another dream. It's getting better. This time the sun, the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father this time as well and to his brothers. And his father rebukes him. The person who's meant to be his encourager of his dream rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come bowed down to the earth before you? Now watch this, verse 11 says his brothers envied him. And you've got to ask yourself, what are they envying here? I think they're not envying the substance of the dream. They're envying the fact that he's got one because they don't. 
I think they envy the fact that there's something that's so attractive about a person whose life runs on vision and doesn't run on circumstance or emotion. There's something about somebody who is running according to an inner voice, not the outer voices of popularity or what the crowd's got to say. His brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Joseph had a dream and his dream was definitely from God. We are able to read all the story. We know that it exactly worked out just like the dream said it would. It took years to happen, but it it came to pass. His brothers and his father did come and they all bowed down to him. And here's my point is that, see, Joseph's got the what of the dream. The content is absolutely correct. He's absolutely got the dream right, but it's the when of the dream that was unknown to Joseph. He sees something that others don't see, but even Joseph doesn't see the timeline, the calendar, when this thing's going to come to pass. And often we download very well the content of vision. We understand what God wants to do. We can declare it and say, I see that so clearly. But often we misread the when. Let me suggest to you today that God is doing us a favour when He doesn't follow our timetable. God is actually doing you a favour. It doesn't look like it or feel like it. If you're like me, you want everything yesterday. You want it fast, instant. And we live in a world that's so full of that that sometimes the hardest thing to do is to wait patiently. And yet God was doing Joseph a favour when his dream never came to pass. Think about it a minute. Joseph's timetable is like this. Make me leader today and I'll show you how this place really ought to be run. Get out of the way, guys. I've got it. I've got a dream from God. I know what's meant to happen Move aside, Dad, I've got this. You know, if God had done that and followed Joseph's timetable, then 70 people, that's the entire family, 70 people would have been affected. Is that significant? Well, of course, it's better than none. But because God had a different timetable, because God had something far greater and much higher in mind, 70 actually ends up becoming a nation of 3 million people that eventually leave the land that Joseph never imagined he'd go to. What looked to Joseph like a huge dream because see, in his mind, he thought it was so massive. Look what could happen. I could be the head of 70. And God goes, Joseph, you've got no idea how big my dreams are. Can I say to you, no matter how great a move of God we're a part of or how marvellous the church is across the globe, can I say to you that Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 9 is absolutely correct when it declares this, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. God says, you know, you think you're dreaming big? But you've got no idea how much I want to do. I believe that the greatest days of the church 
are the ones in front of it. Oh, I've read the history books. I've read about Smith Wigglesworth and the marvellous healing revivals. I've read of Catherine Kuhlman and filling the Shrine Auditorium with 10,000 people every month there in Los Angeles and the books written about the miracles. I know about Charles Finney and I know about, uh, about some of the great works of Martin Luther and all these people of history. But can I tell you that the greatest days of the church are not those days or 10 years ago or that conference or this, but the greatest days of the church are the ones in front because Isaiah 55, 9 says, my ways are higher than yours and I've got bigger thoughts than you've got. I've got greater dreams than you've got. I believe the greatest harvest of the entire uh, history of the universe, that greatest harvest lies in front of us, people are going to come to Christ like never ever before and surprise people who says yes to Jesus. We live in great days. Thank God that God doesn't follow our timetable because what God has in mind for us will take time until the right time. And the rest of Joseph's journey, going into Potiphar's house as a, a slave, then being unjustly tossed into prison. If you understand the story, it's all about getting Joseph to the right place at the right time. And the reality is it's what you do while you're waiting for the right time that determines the impact of the right time when it comes. It's what you do while you're waiting. That determines whether when the right time comes, you're ready or you're not. Let me show you a remarkable verse that you can read and gloss over so quickly. It's in uh, Genesis chapter 41, verse 12. This is while Joseph's still in prison. He's interpreted the dream of the king's cupbearer who gets restored to his position, the king's baker who's executed. And Joseph had said to both of them, or he'd said rather to the king's cupbearer, when you are restored to your position, Will you put in a good word for me? Remember me. But it says at the end of chapter 40, but the butler didn't remember him. He forgot him. Listen to me. Sometimes the negatives in your life are as important a part of the process of what God is doing as the positives. You got to get this this morning. Otherwise, you look at every negative and say, why isn't God doing something then? Sometimes God's doing something through that thing that you really detest. Imagine being Joseph in prison, you've done the right thing and yet the guy doesn't remember him, he forgets him for two years. And you go, what was that about? Come on God, I did the right thing. I gave, I sowed, I prayed, I reached, I helped, I blessed. And God, this is what I get for it. And yet that was all a part of the process because there was a two year wait because there was going to be a seven-year window about to arrive. It's all in God's calendar. It's just not in Joseph's. And so eventually, Pharaoh dreams the dream that he can't figure it out, gets all of his wisest counsellors, all of his experts in, and they go, we don't really know either. And all of a sudden, the king's cupbearer, he goes, excuse me, Pharaoh, I just remembered. There was a young Hebrew. Well, let's read it. Now there was a young Hebrew. Man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard. 
And we told him and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, just as it, he had interpreted for us, so it happened. You restored me to my office and you hanged the other guy. Watch this in verse 14. This has got to be the most astounding verse. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon and he shaved, changed his clothing and came to Pharaoh. You go, so what? My point is that when Joseph's right time came, the only thing he's got to do is have a shave and change his clothes. He's been living ready. All he's got to do is shave and change his clothes. There's no desperate repenting of bad attitudes in his life. Oh God, I'm so sorry. I've allowed, you know, discouragement to fill my heart. I've allowed despair to take over. God, here I am. You've given me the opportunity mentally and emotionally. I'm not ready. This guy's ready. All he's got to think about it, man. I love this verse. All the guy's got to do is shave, change his clothes, and he's right there in front of the most powerful man on the planet. He's that ready. When his right time came, there was no having to go back and repair old relationships that had been destroyed by bitterness. He didn't have to go back to the captain of the guard and say, look, I'm sorry, I've hated you these last few years. He didn't have to go to the king's cupbearer. I'm sorry, I've got a spiritual blockage because of unforgiveness. I've hated you. I wished you were dead. When his right time came, he was ready. No spiritual slackness. When the starter's gun was fired, he's on the blocks. All he's got to do. And he's right there. Nikki, I want you to come and read a scripture for me, if you would, please. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 26. Don't you realise that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do, they do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. The Olympic men's 100 metres final. Thompson, Trinidad. Powell, Jamaica. Gay, USA. Blake, Jamaica. Gatlin, USA. Bolt, Jamaica. Bailey, USA. Martina of the Netherlands. On your mark. How many of you think I'm going to win the race? <laughs> Apart from the fact that Usain Bolt and I, we've had a long-running competition. My point is this. Are you ready for when the starter's gun goes? 
Or are you still back there dealing with rubbish and stuff that maybe you should have dealt with a long time ago? Are there things you need to have put right? But you know, one day the starting gun goes and you're there looking and they've all got their heads down and you're wandering in going, oh, I better get ready. This is the front page of the West Australian yesterday. West COVID Eagles. They're playing today. And 12 of the players are out due to COVID. Well, for those of you who are in other countries and don't understand Aussie rules, you can't play, you know, just without 10 people on the ground. You're pretty well hopeless. That's not going to work. And so there's a picture in the top right-hand corner there of a bloke holding a shovel. And that's him there on page five. His name is Tom Bleshenden. And because 12 people were out for the Eagles game, they're flying to Melbourne to play in one of the big stadiums. And they're short of all the players that they need. And so they've gone to the next level down, which is what's called the Waffle here, W-A-F-L. It's kind of a semi-pro kind of a league. It's the guys who haven't yet got the invitation to the big game. And here's this guy who spent the last six months to a year being a landscaper. He says at one point here, he says, we've been putting plants in, digging holes, and we've been on the shovel all week. And I guess if you go from there to playing an AFL game in three days, it's a bit of a change, that's for sure. (laughs) Joseph shaved and changed his clothes and came before Pharaoh. And he's on the shovels, but he gets the call up to the big dance. And so he goes straight from putting plants in to hopefully taking marks and kicking goals. But I guarantee this much, they never asked the people that weren't ready. They never went to the bloke who was couch surfing, sitting there munching on his fast food, growing his abdomen. I'm pretty sure that when the time came, they're going, are you ready for this? I guarantee someone asked him the question, are you ready for this? Are you ready for your right time? When your right time turns up, when the starter's gun goes, you know, as a part of this church's life, we as leaders are always, it's just part of the way we think. We're thinking about six months from now because one day all of this stuff, all these things, they'll be finished. And we're not going to start getting ready when they're ended. We're starting to get ready now. Next Sunday, I'll begin a new series called Refreshed and Ready. And it's about helping all of us here at Metro Church get ready for what's going to unfold over the next six months. Because I want to make sure that when God, well, He's already moving, but when God increases and turns up the volume, when our moment comes, I want to make sure that we're not there munching on a Smarty Biscuit, looking around, still with our shoelaces untied, still with the tracky dacks on. I want to make sure that the blocks have been fitted to our stride 
and we're ready to stand up and keep going. Amen. I want to make sure that when the starter's gun goes, this church, that we're ready. But to do that, we can't do that if we've got hearts that are filled with despair. I understand why we can have that. I'm not being rude or, or hurtful to anyone. I don't know all your story and I don't ever preach to individuals anyway. I preach to all of us. But I don't know what it might be that right now you've allowed to take the place of faith and hope and love in your heart. Maybe there's something in there. Maybe there's a relationship and you need to go home today and say, you know what, I'm going to fix that as best I can. I mightn't be able to solve it, but I can do my part for it. I'm going to write them a letter, send them the email, send them the text saying, I just want you to know I love you. Just want you to know whatever's happened is in the past. I'm ready to go forward. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe some of you need to dust off the vision that God put in your heart years ago and say, God, I'm going to let that thing start to come alive and strong again in my life. Instead of putting it there going, well, one day, one day, because what you're looking at here right now, this is what's called the one day Christian. I'll get ready one day. When it gets closer, I'll tie my shoes up. When it gets closer to the mark, I'll, I'll fix up my diet. It's the one day Christian. And I believe God is saying to every single one of us, will you get ready for what I want to do? Amen. Team is going to come. I want us to sing again that song because I think the words of it are so powerful. They talk about us waiting. Well, we're waiting in the right sense of the word. We're not waiting for God, we're waiting on God. And there's a difference between those because so many people are waiting for God to fix it, to solve it, to change it. Waiting on God says, God, I'm ready for what you want to do. I'm waiting on you. Just like a wait person does in a restaurant when you go there, they wait on you. They don't wait for you. They wait on you. That means hopefully if it's a good restaurant, when you're ready to order, they're ready to come and take it. When you're ready to dine, they're ready to help you. Are you waiting on God or are you waiting for God? Amen. Let me sum this message up for you before we sing. It's as simple as this. This is not a complex, complicated message. Trust God for the right time. Get ready for your right time. Amen.